So as we go into Romans, we're going to learn about who God is, who the Holy Scripture is, the nature of the church, the nature of grace, and who we are. So it's a very important thing. It's a letter, and uh, it's a very long letter by the standards of Paul's day. The um, introduction here, the opening, verses 1 through 7, is a, a longer opening than you would see in a, a typical letter, too. It's probably written from Corinth. Um, as he planned to stop in Rome on his way to Jerusalem, taking that collection he was talking about, taking to the, the poor um, Jewish believers that were there. And so he's been taking these offerings up, and he's planning to go into Rome. And so he's sending this letter to them um, by way of introduction into um, who he is and who Christ is and what the gospel is. So they can be digging into this and wrestling with this so that when he arrives, um, they're able to have deep conversation. It's in the Bible because Paul did not just write this letter to these Romans, but to us as well. This is a message from God. So Paul had not yet visited the church at Rome, um, so he sends this letter for this purpose. He's been ministering and serving Christ for 20 years by this point, planting churches in different places. Um, So we start letters by saying, um, Dear John, my name being John, heard Dear John letters. I know what they are. So when you get, when your girlfriend's breaking up from you, and that's what I get. You'll get a Dear Alex letter. I get a Dear John letter. So that's how we start letters. Dear, whoever you're sending it to. Then you write it, and at the end you say, sincerely in your name. But they didn't do that in Rome. I think they had a better way of doing it. They start off by saying, hey, let me tell you who I am, who I'm writing, who, let me introduce myself to you. And then this is in the address to whoever I'm writing to. And that's what we see right here at the beginning. So what Paul is doing in these first seven verses is he is, and I've titled this sermon Identity because this is what he's doing. He is identifying who he is. He's identifying what the gospel is. He's identifying who Jesus Christ is. And he's identifying who the Romans are. And when you hear that, he is identifying who we are in Christ because we, this letter is written to us, so you can think of us as the Romans. And the Roman church would have had Jews and Gentiles in it. There are times when it seems he's addressing particularly Gentiles, sometimes particularly Jews, but all of these things are ultimately addressed to us. And so when we start looking at our identity, and maybe you're not familiar with the term identity, maybe um, younger children in here, you don't know the term identity. Andrew, I know you've heard the word identity before because if you've ever seen a superhero, they tend to have a what? Secret identity, okay? So their secret identity, it's like their, it's, um, their secret identity is not who they are walking around. Their secret identity is who they are as superheroes. They have another identity that they, they hide. And so they, they, they hide who they are so that people don't know that they're, they don't want their family. There's all kinds of reasons the superheroes don't want people to know who they are. But who are you is the question. What is our identity as Christians? How do you think of yourself? How do you present yourself? Um, is it who you really are? So this morning we're going to see this. Who are you really? And it's a very important question, as well as who is Paul really? What about the scriptures? And what about the gospel? What about Jesus? And Paul hits this in seven verses. And in seminary, they used to take a section of scripture and give it to 30 people in the class and say, we're going to all preach this text one after the other, not in the same day, but over time. And um, they've done that, not with these verses in my class, but with a different one. And it's amazing. 30 different um, sermons on the same text, and more or less all of them being based on the text. 
So the application that you can get from a text of Scripture is not infinite, but it is, is vast beyond our understanding at times. But what I want us to see is what I think is the primary purpose for what Paul is writing is to identify who he is and these others that I've spoken to. So let's read God's Word, and then we'll look into it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. End of. Oh, there's a comma there still. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's the end of our sentence. Um, Paul is very um, good at writing lengthy sentences. But if you ever read in the Old Testament, uh, in the original language, they just say, and. If they're talking about something that happens, they're like a child that's just super excited. They're like, and then we went and did this, and then we did that, and then I hit that, and I got this, and then I got this. It's just, and, 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 and. And so Paul, being well-versed in scriptures, gets everything he wants said out in this sentence. So the first point here is, who is Paul? That's a very important issue, because the... the, the tend to shorthand refer to these churches as liberal churches, um, tend to not believe that we need to listen to Paul. That um, Paul says some things about the church, about women, about different things, because he didn't like women. He was just a product of his culture and these types of things. And so you have to beware when you're in a church to find out whether or not, uh, you know, what do you think of, of, of Paul, even? It's a good question to ask. Was he inspired by the Spirit or not? Um, but he says here, the first thing he lists is he is a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, your Bible may already have a little footnote indication there. It says, for context, for contextual reading of Greek word doulos, see the preface. That's my footnote. Um, so the Greek word there is doulos. In our Greek class, um, every class had somebody who was appointed doulos. So it's like, today, who wants to be doulos today? And that was the person that was the slave to the instructor, who if he wanted something, you went and got it. I need paper. Doulos. I want something to drink. Doulos. I need somebody to go ask somebody a question. Doulos. That's what the doulos did. And it was a really good way to remind us of the word doulos. So anytime I see that in Scripture, that's right where my mind goes. And this word means, uh, slave is a good word for it. But the word slave brings up all these negative meanings in our minds, and so they use the term bond servant. But, but it really means is, you, it's, it's different than a, a waiter comes to your table. You may treat them like they're your servant, that they're your slave. They are not. They are there to serve you. They, they deacon you. They are there to minister to you. That's where that word comes from. They're there to, to help you. You're like a nurse that might come in. The nurse comes in to help you. Now, if you have a servant there with you, 
that servant belongs to you. That servant does what you tell that servant to do. You should do it with kindness. You should do it with grace and love and mercy and all these things. But they are there for the specific purpose of you are their Lord. You are their master. You belong, they belong to you in a real sense in that they are there for your purposes. What do you need? What do you want? I'm here to do this. And so Paul is saying, I am a doulos of Christ Jesus. That's important. So when he's telling us stuff, we know that what he's saying is, I'm only going to tell you what Jesus told me to say. I'm his servant. This is who I am. This is not about Paul. This is not about anybody else. This is about Christ Jesus. Secondly, he says, called to be an apostle. And I really, I don't like, I know how aggravating it can be to hear somebody get up and start talking about Greek, 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 Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew. However, um, words matter, and this called to be an apostle, in the original language in which Paul wrote, that's an adverb, so this is where Nancy and Stan are hoping that you guys listened in their English classes, so that an adverb, he is, called, he is, he is a called apostle, a called apostle, he, and, and what an apostle is, it literally is one sent forth from another. And it's usually by a special commission. It's kind of like our word missionary. Sometimes missionaries in the Bible are called apostles with little a's, not the title of the office of apostle. Um, a word that has been mentioned in our language that's very similar to um, apostle that gives us a lot of the, the meaning of it is the word ambassador. So that Paul would say, I am an official ambassador, a called ambassador of Jesus Christ. He's the one who does the calling. And this is the definition I have of ambassador. An official envoy of high rank appointed by one of higher rank and authority to represent him and conduct business on his behalf. So Paul is not just a messenger because it can also be translated messenger. Another word that can be translated messenger is angel. So an angel is a messenger an apostle is a messenger. The difference between angels and the 12 apostles who were appointed directly by Jesus Christ as his ambassadors is that an angel came with a message from God. And they were supposed to give that message and that was it. This is what God told me to say. Whereas Paul comes as Christ's representative left behind on earth with the other 11 apostles to be able to say, this is what Jesus Christ says he represents them in this real way. So that even the keys of the kingdom have been given to him. So all this to say, Paul, as an apostle, as one of these 12 apostles appointed directly by Jesus Christ, has authority in what he says. According to him, so if we're going to believe the, the Bible, then we have to believe Paul. Um, the Bible, I think it's First Peter says of Paul, that some of the things that Paul writes are hard to understand. And that encourages us all that if Peter's going to say that, then we can be like, okay, I get it. Some of the things that Pete Paul writes are difficult to understand, and some unstable, unscrupulous people twist it to their destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. So what Peter is doing is classifying Paul's writings in with Holy Scripture. And then there's a, a section where Paul is writing, and he says, I think it's Second Timothy, all scripture is God breathed and profitable for, for life and rebuke and teaching that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. And so the Bible claims for itself authority. Another book, 
might claim authority. So how do you know the Bible has this kind of authority? And ultimately, it's because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, telling us that this is the Word of God. And if this is the Word of God, then Paul is who he says he is. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. He is a called apostle. He has authority. So if you're going to believe the Scripture, then you cannot have, if a person says they just believe Paul didn't like women, then what they're saying is you can't believe all the Scripture. You're going to have to pick and choose what you want to believe and what not to believe. And once you start down that track, I don't even know what good the Bible is at that point because it's all up for grabs. And so we had to be very careful with this. Also, then he says, thirdly, who is Paul? Set apart for the gospel of God. Now, the word set apart is kind of interesting because that's sort of what the word Pharisee means. And Paul was a Pharisee. And they were, they were the ones that were set apart. They were, they were um, separatists. They were better than everybody else. They, were, they, pulled them, so they, they were more stringent in their keeping of the law and things like this. But so Paul is not saying, I'm a Pharisee. Now what he's saying is, I am set apart, but now I've been set apart for the gospel of God. So in these three descriptive terms of himself, he's letting us know, he's letting the Romans know that I am a servant of Jesus Christ. This is who I'm coming on behalf of. And he called me to be an apostle. And so I do have authority. And I've been set apart for the gospel of God. This is a gospel about God. This is a gospel from God. This is the good news about from God. And so now he's, we're going to look at two. Well, um, what is the gospel? So when we're talking about these things and we're talking about identity, then we want to know what is the gospel. And so the word gospel can be a noun or a verb. Did you know that? You have the gospel and then you can gospel people. And the problem with that is it sounds kind of weird. So we don't say we, we, we believe the gospel, we believe the good news, and then we evangelize people. And that, oh my gosh, the Greek words, the Greek words. The Greek word behind gospel is euangeline. You, meaning good, angeline, which sounds like what word? If you say angeline, you get it, angel. So it's the good message, the good news. And it is the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you take the word you angeline, and you do all this weird stuff to it that people do, you get the evangel, and so you evangelize people. But when you're looking at it in the original language, you just see the euangelon of God, and we're going to euangelo people. We believe in the gospel, and we're going to gospel people. You're going to good news people. What you're doing when you're sharing the good news is you're good newsing them. You want them to hear this powerful word of God. And he says, so what is this? It is what was promised beforehand. Pre-promised is a good way to translate that word. It was pre-promised by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That means there are scriptures that are holy. There are scriptures that have been set apart, which is what that word means, for God's holy purpose. The prophets of old wrote in the Holy Scriptures about what? The gospel of God. So the Old Testament is proclaiming the gospel of God that we see fully now realized in the New Testament as we see what it all is in their fullness. But the Old Testament saints were all saved by faith in the same way we are in the New Testament. The Old Testament looking forward to Christ and the Old Testament we're looking back in its fullness. But as we look at this good news of God, we realize that this is... Um, 
in the Holy Scriptures. So this also is not proclaiming the authority of Paul only, but the authority of Scripture, the authority of the Bible. So this is what Paul is doing. And when he's saying Holy Scriptures at this particular moment in time, he's talking about particularly Old Testament, that Torah that all you guys are having, the, 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 New, the Old Testament is proclaiming this gospel of God. So the gospel in the Old Testament sense, this good news, this word does come from the Old Testament. It's a, a difference. It's baser is the word in, in Hebrew that gets translated into Septuagint, into the word euangelion, so if you know what that stuff means. But it's a person who brings a message of peace. A person who brings a message of shalom is what it is in the Hebrew, where it's not just peace, it's tranquility. It's like your car is purring like a kitten because it's running according to optimal standards, the way it was designed to operate, and everything is running perfectly. So when you have shalom, the world begins to function in exactly the way in which it was originally created. And, when, and your heart resonates and is in harmony with these things. And if you've ever experienced moments of shalom, then you have a foretaste of heaven. And even in the Lord's Suppers, we're told tangibly to come to the gospel. This is where he's saying is, I am setting all things right. If you are in me and I am in you, even though you're in the midst of the storm, I am setting all things right. You, there, there's, there is this peace that surpasses all understanding. Why would it surpass understanding? Because a normal person might look at your life and go, I don't have a clue as to why you might be peaceful right now. And there are going to be times when they'll look at you as a Christian and say, I completely understand why you're not peaceful right now. Look at everything you have going on. That's when you need the gospel. That's when you need to understand the Lord's Supper. That's when you need to understand these things that God is writing to us, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. You had to preach the gospel to yourself. You had to be able to good news yourself. There's good news. I didn't feel like being here this morning. I actually felt like being here this morning. But you know, you might not feel like being here this morning. You should come, you show up, you're not in the good news. And then you get people up. I kind of steal this a little bit from a little clip from Alistair Begg that does a good job with this. He says, you know, I'm showing up for church. I don't feel good. I'm in a cranky mood. My kids have been yelling. I didn't get my coffee yet. And, um, and then I get up front and some guy's yelling at me, stand up, clap your hands. I don't feel like clapping my hands. Come on, everybody, let's get it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. He said, so you begin with a call to worship. This is a worship of God. Jesus Christ, diverse sins. God is for you. Okay, wait a second now. I'm getting a little bit of a reason maybe to be happy. And then the gospel's proclaimed, and he starts singing songs about the work of God in the world and all these things. And before you know it, I'm like, yes, okay, I'm, I'm with you now, brother. Let's, let's, let's sing, let's pray, let's praise. And then we try to take that back out into the world. But you can't have rose-colored glasses with the gospel. You can't just be somebody who's superficial of all these things. You look with reality at the broken, fallen cursed, <laughs> twisted generation, as Paul calls it, amongst who we live. But he says, among whom you shine as lights. So the thing about light is, people are either, I've talked about this before, cockroaches or moths. Cockroaches, turn light on, scatter. Moths, attracted to it. So if you're a light in the world, and people don't want the light, you know, guess what they will do? They will try to either flee from your light or make your light a little more dim. And, and you have to be careful about that because this is not your gospel. This is not uh, you not trying to... As a salesperson, I had this conversation with somebody recently. He's like, I, would, I can't be a salesperson. I've done that you know, in school. Thank you, schools, for making me go out and try to sell things. <laughs> you find out that's not my calling, Rob. Is, is that the, 
if somebody rejected my sales pitch, I felt like I was being rejected, and I couldn't deal with it. And so you have to be very careful with that. When, you, when you're selling the gospel to people and they reject it, you feel personally rejected, then you're not doing it right. Because what you're there for is, Jesus Christ bought me, called me, brought me to himself. And now I am told, as a servant of his, that I am to live my life in such a way that lets his light shine so that other people can see his good works and then glorify him. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm called to do. So if I'm sharing the gospel, if I'm good news in somebody, it's because I've been called to do it. I've been called to do it in a way that's loving. I'm not supposed to be a jerk out there. If people don't like me, you have to be careful that is it because of me or is it because of who I represent? And it's very easy for us to think when somebody gets mad at you, it's because you're like Jesus, but not necessarily. Jesus had a lot of sinners that came to him. And so um, we have to be very careful that we actually do love our neighbor, even our enemies, enough to be able to share the good news with them. And so this gospel, he says, and this is the next, it was promised beforehand by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Secondly, is concerning his son. So then we get this third point, I think is where we are. And if you do keep notes in those little journal things, you'll realize that sometimes I'll say third point, and it's not the third point. Did he skip the fourth point? I can't keep up with these numbers. So you do it your best you can. So I think this is the third point, which is, who is the son? Who is this gospel about? Who is this son? And one, he was descended from David according to the flesh. And what we're going to, and he was declared, so one, descended from David according to the flesh, Two, declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness. And there's a run-on sentence that keeps on going. Fully God, fully man. Truly God, truly man. So, truly man in the flesh. So, he was declared to be, he was descended from David according to the flesh. So, he is a descendant of David. He is legally, uh, has a an right to the heir to the throne. That was promised to David. And he was declared to be the Son of God. He did not become the Son of God. He, he was always the Son of God. But Jesus himself was declared to be the Son of God in power. So this could mean, you could put all those words together. He's the Son of God in power. Like it's hyphenate them all. Son of God in power. Or he's saying um, he was declared to be the Son of God in power. And both of those are probably true whenever they write stuff like this in, in Greek. And there's like two ways to take it. Paul is such a good theologian that he, he means both ways to be taken. So he is the son of God in power. He was declared to be so according to the spirit of holiness. All right? He's, he was um, descended from David according to the flesh. But now he's declared to be the son of God according to the spirit of holiness. And this is the only time this phrase, spirit of holiness, is used in the Bible. It's always different for the Holy Spirit. It's a different type of phrase. So my English translation here has capitalized spirit. So they're saying this is talking about the Holy Spirit, um, which the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. But it's the spirit of holiness, the spirit of Christ, which is set apart and holy. Because this too points to his divinity, the fact that he was God. And how was he declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness? By his resurrection from the dead. Now that's important. <laughs> that's, Paul says it's of utmost importance. If, we, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. You believe for nothing. We'll be most pitied. 
And there's no other religious leader that has died that has come back to life. There's no political leader that has died and come back to life. And not only, you know, uh, Jesus rose Lazarus back to life, but Lazarus died again at some point. So he doesn't, wasn't raised to life eternal, although he lives with him in heaven. But Jesus was raised bodily from the grave as a first fruits from those of us who also will be raised bodily from the grave when we receive our glorified bodies. But this... I remember one Easter having a conversation with somebody in the church years and years ago, and it's like, well, Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Yes. Well, what if he hadn't been resurrected? Because uh, the dying for our sins was the important part. Seems like that's the important part. The resurrection is like, well, that's cool, but what was that necessary for our salvation? And the Bible says, oh, yeah, buddy, that was necessary for your salvation because you died to sin and you're raised to new life with Christ. You're if Christ Jesus continued in the grave, then he had no power over death. He had no power. Then when he said it is finished on the cross, the God the Father was like, nah, nah, almost, you got close, but not quite. Death still has power over you and over all of mankind. So when, God, when Jesus on the cross says it is finished, it has now been finished for all time, the Father, through the Holy Spirit, testifies with Christ that it is finished and he rose him from the grave in the power of the Holy Spirit for our justification, it says, for our declared righteousness. So justification is the word for righteousification, which is a, a clunky word in English, but it means you've been declared just. You're not just declared innocent, you're declared just in the court of God. And that is your initial declaration of salvation. And he was declared to be the Son of God in power of holiness, the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, in case you missed who it was going to be, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You too, our, notice the word our, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one who, we are his doulos, we are his slave, we are his servants. And this is who he is. This is who the gospel of God is about. Now, fourth, who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the one through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, you have to look at this one as he says the word we. Who is he talking about? And when he says apostleship, and he's proclaiming particularly his different type of apostleship, then he could be talking here about all the other apostles in himself. He could also be talking about all of us as we are called and have received grace and have been brought to, to share the gospel with the nations. So either of those or both of those can be true. But you just have to keep in mind that while we can all be um, deacons, servants, there is an office of deacon. You can be an elder, but there is an office of elder. And you can be an apostle, but there is an office of the apostle. And so we're very careful about how we use that word in the church so as not to confuse these two things. But he says we receive grace and apostleship. So grace means it was undeserved, and we received this apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. And so there's lots of talk about what does obedience of faith mean in Obedience and faith go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't have 
any good thing that you do without faith. And also, faith is our obedience. By faith, you're declared righteous. But it also gives you this ability to be righteous before God. And he says that they did this. They received grace and apostleship to bring forth this obedience of faith. It's times they're even talking about obeying the gospel means repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, believing in the gospel for the sake of his name. And in the original language, it just says for his name, for his name. Why are we doing this? For his name, for his glory. This is the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is not primarily about God being able to save people. It is primarily about the glory of God in our salvation. So we have to be able to, don't miss that, or you can think that God is all about glorifying you. That's all he's about, glorifying you, making sure everything's great for you, making sure everything's, you know, oh, don't think about me. No, God is in the business. God's primary character is glorious, and he wants us to glorify him and Jesus Christ said, it says in Philippians that he died, suffered the death of the cross, and uh, even the death of the cross, so that at the name of Jesus, every tongue shall bow, and, knee can, and tongue conf- every knee shall bow, and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul over and over and over again is saying, this is about God, this is about God, this is about God. I am not man-centric, I am theocentric. I am all about God, I'm all about Jesus Christ. You know whose name I'm making great? Not Paul. I'm not making my name great. I'm not even trying to make your name great. I'm trying to make great the name of Jesus Christ. Because in the name of Jesus Christ, every tongue shall confess and there's no other name under heaven that by which anybody should be saved. So if we're making much of anything, other than Jesus Christ as ultimate good, then you're, you're leading people astray. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Now when you see this next sentence, he says, including you, which tends to make me think that the we in the previous verse is about himself and the other apostles, because they received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, y'all, who are the called of Jesus Christ. And again, this is that he was a called apostle, and we are the called according to Jesus Christ. That's our identity. Oh, this is under who are you? Who am I as a believer? You were one from among the nations, and you were two, the called of Jesus Christ. You're the called. That's one of those words that's used, the called. And then he says, now this is all to those, and this is still under who we are, to those in Rome who are beloved by God. That's that word agape you may be familiar with in Greek, this love, agape tois theou, you're beloved of God. That's who you are, this agape love, this deep love that's fully encompassing in the Greek language. You're beloved. And since I've thought a lot about R.C. Sproul during this, it's like he says, he, he refers to the church as beloved. Beloved. Now, you might think maybe if I called you beloved all the time, that I might be saying, hey, I love you. And I may or may not love you to different levels, but I should love you. But God loves you. You're beloved of God. 
Think about that. You're loved of God. You are loved of God. Maybe you had parents and you're trying to say, did they really love me? <laughs> did they? And maybe they love me. They didn't like me. I don't know. But God, he loves you. And he likes you. He's had this relationship with you. You're in this relationship. You are loved by him. You are, you are loved by him if you're in Christ. And he calls you to himself. Beloved. So you pray for help. You pray for peace. You pray for something. Why am I going through this? You must be angry at me. I love you. Well, you sure sure got an odd way of showing it. It's like, stop being so ignorant about the ways of God. You don't know. You don't know what God's doing in the world. All you know is you're called to love him and serve him, trust in him, and know that whatever happens, and Paul lays out, because you hear the the majesty of what he's doing and seeing who God is and what the gospel is, and later he's going to say that all things are working together for the good of those who love you or the called according to his purposes. These things are all working out according to his purposes. Not your purpose. Now your purpose in this life may well be what a lot of the um, health wealth preachers preach, which is my good, my good pleasure, my, my check account, my, um, my health, all these things. Um, my purposes. Well, because if God loves me, and he's truly loving me because I'm doing a good job, my faith is good, so he's loving me more. Okay, I got it. So now I got all my blessings. So as I see my blessings line up, as I see the shalom happening in my life, okay, I got it, all this wonderful stuff is happening, I must be loved by God. Then when bad things happen, it's like, what did I do wrong? Why is he doing this to me? Why am I in such a state? And your faith just plummets. But you win the lottery, faith goes straight up. You might win the lottery, and that is God's way of chastising you, turning you over to a love of God, I mean, turning you over to a love of money, turning you over to a love of material things, and we've seen how many people have won huge amounts of money, and they commit suicide. And you think, that's ridiculous. (laughs) It's like, yeah. This is what happens when you have another God in my face before me. And God will turn, Psalm um, 107 talks about these different things that people go through, and then God turns them over to it. So they might now cry out to him, and then he comes and rescues them. It's like, I hate to use this example too much, but it's like when somebody finds out they have cancer, they find out they have some terrible disease. The good news is the finding out. You didn't know. You have found out. And so this is what we have to recognize, is that at times, the the bitter providences, the difficulties in life, when things go wrong, not according to my purposes, uh, may be God blessing you in this. He's something new to learn or bear. So what we tend to do with that, we're so messed up. We tend to do with that is, things are going bad, God must be knowing I need to be taught a lesson. Well, things are going good, he knows you. You always need to be taught a lesson. (laughs) You just get over it. You're never going to get to the point where you're like, I got this. And when things are going good, Take my training wheels off. I got it. No. The best thing in the world for somebody that thinks they're out there without training wheels or out there with God, without God is for God to take a stick and stick it in your spokes and cause you to go for a tumble. And then you get to say, wait a minute, why'd this happen? That's right. We're going to work on your faith a little bit because you've got some wrong things you're thinking about it. The, the way your life goes, you cannot use what happens in your life as a barometer for how much God loves you. You cannot use it as a meter for how well you're doing in the faith. You have to just say, this is something I've been faced with. It is under the providence and sovereign control of God. He loves me. I must trust him. 
He weeps with me when I weep. He cries with me when he, I cry. He rejoices with me when I rejoice. He is my God. I am his. I am beloved. And there will be a time when all this passes. And then Paul, who had been beaten and chained and arrested and almost died, died, came back to life. Uh, all these things hated, says, you know what? The sufferings of this present time aren't even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. So you have to be careful. Also, be careful how you minister to somebody who doesn't seem to be doing that, and they're walking through the valley of shadow of death, and they're not doing a good job. Don't go up to them and say, you know, read Job. The three friends, they'd have been great. They just kept their mouth shut. You know, just minister to them. I don't know why you're going through it. They didn't know why. Every one of them said, it's because you've done something wrong. And Job is like, I've done nothing wrong. <laughs> then he gets to the point, he's like, give me an audience with God. <laughs> and then God's like, what are you talking to Job? No, this is not happening. He didn't even explain it to Job. He just tells Job, you, know, no, you need to know who you are and who I am. And then Job says, I closed my mouth. I did not realize what I was saying or who you are. And so that what Job gets is a great blessing. I mean, who wants to be Job? <laughs> you know, well, guess what? You're Job at times. Sometimes you're Paul. High above all things. But then you got a thorn in your flesh. Paul's leaving. I've, I've prayed three times for this thorn to be removed. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So if you go through hard and difficult times, some people go through, some people's lives just seem to be rent with the difficulties. I mean, no matter what. And it's just hard to watch even. You just have to know that if they're believers, God is at work. And that one day, or Joni Erickson Tata, who is in a wheelchair, she's a believer. She, she um, jumped in a lake or something when she was young and broke her neck and so has been evangelizing and telling people the, the gospel for a long time and she says she goes to heaven and she's like excited and everything and it's like and she's standing up walking you know it's like and then she's like why the chair <laughs> why the chair and she says I can just picture God saying look at everything he did because of the chair look what the chair enabled you to be able to do and she's like amen Thank you for the chair. And then she says, and I just know Jesus is going to look at me and say, yes, now let's throw that wheelchair in hell. <laughs> it's like, amen, let's do it. So you have to keep these things in mind, that God doesn't look at difficult things and say, it's not difficult, it's not bad, I'm using it for good. God's heart is more hurt, the spirit is more grieved over sin and difficulties than we can ever imagine. But he is at work in us and through us and around us in greater ways than we can ever possibly imagine. And he closes this greeting. He opens this letter with this message from his Lord, whom he is an ambassador from, who set him apart for the gospel. And he says, this is no matter what else you hear in this gospel, you need to know that God says this to you, grace to y'all grace to y'all. Now they would do that in all the Greek letters. Grace to you, you know, sincerely. But they didn't say peace. And so this is his Hebrew coming in. Grace and peace. Grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You got that going for you. <laughs> if you didn't need grace, it wouldn't be grace. 
if there's ever peace that comes into our lives, it comes from God. And it will surpass all understanding. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that as we go through this letter and we read it and absorb it, it's easy to get called up into every single word and detail. Help us, just help me, help us as we go through this to keep focused on the gospel. Um, at least one good, beautiful point from you for your church that we might be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ and we might receive grace and peace. And as we come to this table, Lord, we know that this is the way that you show us where it comes from. It comes from not living by bread alone, but by, from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God where we receive as believers Christ himself. So we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.